Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. family. Hey, if you got your Bibles, head over to Daniel chapter 2. That's going to be today, Daniel chapter 2. And uh, hey, while you're turning there, just want to celebrate something that happened in the life of our church. Um, here's what I am told. I'm constantly told this as a pastor from other pastors or people who are like experts in culture, that kind of thing. What I am told is you can't get men to come to church anymore. What I want to say is that's Lake Point Church this Friday night. That's what I want to say. So I, I want to say, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. That's what, you know. Uh, so man, I'm just really, really proud. It was awesome to uh, gather with uh, thousands and thousands of men stepping into callings as husbands, daddies, Christ followers, and uh, leaders. And uh, just really awesome. I do want to say this is not like a boys rule, girls rule moment, but I do want to say this. There were more dudes at the men's conference than ladies at the women's conference. I mean, I just, I just want to say, I mean, I don't. Y'all have another chance later this year. That's, that's what I'll say. Okay. Well, hey, this is um, week two of a series that we are just calling Thriving in Babylon. And uh, what I'm doing is preaching week by week through the book of Daniel. Um, let me tell you why I'm doing that. It's called Thriving in Babylon, How Godless People Can Thrive in a Godless Culture. And the reason we're doing this is uh, the book of Daniel is really interesting. It's a story about, true story about this uh, little Jewish guy, 13 to 15 years old, who because of their disobedience, God allows the nation of Israel to be conquered by a godless empire called Babylon. And so for this little Jewish dude named Daniel, um, he, his nation is conquered. He becomes a POW today. We would classify him as a victim of human trafficking. He is forced to walk 700 miles from his home, separated from his family, to the godless empire of Babylon. When he gets there, he is immediately ordered to have gender reassignment surgery. He is inundated in a Babylonian school. And while he is there, something absolutely amazing happens. Now, before, before I say that, I just want to point out, this may sound familiar to some of you about how you feel. Because in just a very short time, Daniel went from being, uh, b- being in a godless nation, in a, or a godly nation, in a godly family, with godly values, being taught godly things, in a godly school, godly culture. And then it's like the ground shifted underneath his feet. And he woke up one day and he found himself in a godless nation, with godless values, being taught godless things in a godless school and being trained in godlessness. Now, what's amazing about this book is that surrounding Daniel was the spirit of Babylon, but filling Daniel was the spirit of God. And because of that, greater is he that was in Daniel than he that is in the world. And so Daniel, this is this amazing story where Daniel, in the course of these 70 years that the book describes, he goes from being like, watch this, like a 15-year-old victim of human trafficking 
to becoming the second most powerful man in the most powerful empire in the world. So Daniel, he didn't just endure it, he influenced it. He did not just survive, he thrived in Babylon. And listen, like I, I need us to get this as, as a people of God. You need to understand, the Bible isn't an old book, it's a timeless book, so it doesn't just tell us what happened, it tells us what always happens. The reason God put the book of Daniel in the Bible is so that all throughout the centuries and millennia, the people of God, when you find yourself in a godless culture, God's going, here's your handbook on how not just to survive it, but to thrive. How not just to endure it, but to influence it. And so each week in this series, what we're doing is we're going just walking through this book and Daniel's like our Sherpa. That's what we're doing, okay? Now, uh, here's what we're doing this week. Um, let me lead into, th- this is the, if you missed last week, you're cheating. Because this is the second half of one sermon. I preached the first half last week. It was about Babylon's strategy to influence Daniel. This week is about Daniel's strategy to influence Babylon. And uh, let me lead into it like this. This is one of my favorite stories. It's uh, the true story of a California man named Larry Waters. Um, Larry uh, was a guy who, uh, quite ingenuitive, walked into an Army Army Navy surplus store. He bought 75 used weather balloons, attached them to a lawn chair he'd secured to the back of his pickup truck. I like this guy. Now, what he did is he had his friends untie the rope that was attaching the lawn chair to the back of a pickup truck. Later, after the incident that I'm about to describe, a friend said that what Larry was hoping would happen is that he would observe the neighborhood from a slightly different angle to gain a new perspective on life. Larry only took three things with him uh, into his lawn chair. He took a peanut butter sandwich, a fully loaded BB gun, and a six pack of beer. That's what Larry took. Now, Two and a half hours after his friends untied his lawn chair from the, uh, the pickup truck, uh, uh, two and a half hours later, the L.A. International Airport reported a, quote, unidentified flying object at 16,000 feet. Larry's intention, it's a true story, Larry's intention had been to gently float into the sky, shoot, he brought his BB gun so that he could like pop a couple balloons to control his altitude. And then when he wanted to come down, he'd just pop a couple more and that he would gently drift down to the ground. But what his friend described is that when he was untied from the truck, he shot into the air as if he'd been fired from a cannon. <laughs> Larry panicked and later in a, uh, a news report, he said, I did the only thing I knew how to do. I started drinking beer, okay? Uh, Larry would have attended our Forney campus, if I may say so. He'll need to say that. Uh, <laughs> uh, later, a SWAT team <laughs> in a rescue mission that would make truck Chuck Norris proud lassoed Larry and ferried him to the ground, and he was given a $4,000 ticket for obstructing, obstructing air traffic. Larry was asked three questions by a local news reporter on TV. Number one, Larry, were you scared? Yes, he said more than that, but this is church, so that's all I'll say. Number two, Larry, would you do it again? No, which tells me Larry was not from Texas. If, is he, if he was from Texas, he would have said, I ain't scared, let's do it again, you know? <laughs> Number three, Larry, why did you do it? This is what he said. I just got tired of always sitting around. Okay, now watch this. That is how I feel like a lot of Christians feel towards their normal nine to five marketplace industry jobs. 
What a lot of Christians think is that, man, like the really important influence for the kingdom, that happens at the church. So I leave my job and come to church, and that's where the place where the kingdom uh, has this influence. So then they start thinking, man, is my job where I spend the majority of my life, is it really like just sitting around? Does it really matter? Does God care what I do with this? If so, how? What this sermon is, this is answering the question, how can we leverage all of our lives, not just including, but especially like our nine to five vocations to be a godly influence in a godless culture? Now, let me start here. I gotta move kind of quick, okay? So let me start here. First, Daniel radically, I'm starting in chapter two and kind of pinging around the book of Daniel. He didn't just, you've, he didn't just understand his relationship with God. Daniel had figured out his relationship with Babylon. And let me say this, you will never be an influence, you'll never be a godly influence in a godless place until you not only understand your relationship with God, but your relationship to the world in which you have been sent. Now, I gotta do this really quick, so you gotta track with me at, at a high rate of speed. There are four postures that Christians generally take towards the world, three wrong and one right. Uh, let me kind of ping through them really quick. Number one, there are some Christians who take a posture towards the world of separation. Some extreme examples of this would be Amish and Mennonite communities. But really, you can point the finger at them all you want. Functionally, it's the same thing when you get to a spot where you don't have any meaningful relationships that aren't Christians. You get to your Christian church, Christian school, Christian friends, try to work at a Christian company. And people with this posture, their functional motto in their life is don't hang out with sinners or you'll catch the sin. Their entire lives, honestly, here's how it feels. Their entire lives if, if feel like this warning of stay away, stay away, stay away from the scary non-Christians, people who watch R-rated movies and they listen to secular music and they let their kids watch oh no spongebob squarepants stay away and these people really what here's what they forget they forget that jesus final words were go into all the world and share not retreat into all your homes and hide so number one separation number two what some christians they don't do separation they do the exact opposite they do assimilation I mentioned last week that there are three categories of people in the book of Daniel. There's the people of God, the people of Babylon, and then a very confusing third category of people of the people of God who end up living like they're Babylonian. They fully assimilate to the beliefs, values, worldviews, and practices of the Babylonians. People of God who live like they're Babylonian. Today, this is somebody who says, like, man, it's like, I'm a believer, but I live Babylonian. I love Jesus, but I live with my girlfriend. And Daniel, he lived in Babylon, but he absolutely refused to become Babylonian because he understood that in order to make a difference, you've got to be different. That we are called to be salt and light in a dying and dark world. And so we do not assimilate. That's what the entire message last week was. We do not assimilate into the beliefs, behaviors, worldviews, and practices of the world. Number three, some Christians don't do separation or assimilation. They do altercation. Let me just gently say, I think this is the most common trap in the culture in which we live, where I am geographically preaching. This is, sometimes it's called like culture war Christianity. It's your Facebook friend that is always offended and always outraged. 
They see the lost world as enemies to be defeated instead of neighbors to be loved. And can I just like, as a Christian, like this is really frustrating to me. So let me just kind of like riff and vent for a second. Because people wanna watch a fight, like that's what drives views, DVR recordings and clicks online. This is the guy that they always put on TV as the voice representing Christians. Have you noticed this? It's always this dude. It's the guy that's on TV and they're like, hey, uh, they ask about a natural disaster and he's like, well, tornado happened because all the gay people and Democrats. It's that guy. Now, in real life, this is the guy that is all angry memes on Facebook. He can't have any meaningful relationships with non-Christians because he can't talk to them without getting in a fight. He just can't do it. It's people who adopt, and again, let me just gently say that this is something I think there, there are probably more people in our church than I would like to see that tend to naturally adopt an us versus them mentality when it comes to the world. Guys, let me just remind you of something. It is easy to end up adopting this mentality that we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. Because what does the gospel teach us? What the gospel teaches is that we, everyone who has ever lived, we're all the bad guys and there's one good guy. His name is Jesus. Jesus, that's the good guy. That's the good guy. So we're all the bad guys. Jesus is the good guy. Satan is the enemy and lost people are his victims. Now, separation, assimilation, altercation. What Daniel does, he does something radically different. He does transformation. Now, let me, let me do like Bible nerd out for a second. I, I, this is the kind of stuff I learned studying for five months. So in Jeremiah 29, it's my favorite chapter of that book of prophets in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 29 was written from Jerusalem to the first wave of exiles in Babylon. Watch this. Of which Daniel and his friends were a part. Now, Jeremiah, I want you to think about this. All these Jewish guys get exported to Babylon. Think about this for a second. If they had been in Israel, walked down the street and seen a, an idol to a pagan false demonic God, they were supposed to tear it down. But now they find themselves in this godless empire of Babylon and they're like, we don't even know what to do with it. Like we have no idea how to relate to this. So God through the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah writes to them and tells them, here's how I want you to relate to this new nation in which you find yourselves. Now listen really close to this language. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Watch. <clears throat> Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. In other words, fully assimilate into the life, not behaviors and beliefs, the life of the city of Babylon. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. God's saying, hey, continue to fulfill the biblical command I gave you in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, here's your evangelism strategy. Have a lot of sex, make a lot of babies, okay? Verse seven, also seek, listen close, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. In other words, God's saying, work for the betterment to build up that kingdom that you find yourself in. Because if it prospers, you're gonna prosper. Now, here's what's fascinating to me. We know that Daniel read that prophecy from Jeremiah 29, because in a few chapters in Daniel chapter nine, he quotes from the same chapter. In Daniel 9, one and two, Daniel says, in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, 
according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Israel would last, and then he quotes Jeremiah 29, 70 years. So God gives Daniel this vision, hey, don't do, uh, don't do uh, separation, assimilation, altercation, do transformation. And Daniel takes up this posture, he, in, starting in Daniel 2. He dives in, he goes to Babylonian school. He absolutely crushes it at a Babylonian job. Gets promotion after promotion after promotion after promotion. He befriends Babylonian leaders and he is eventually used to be a godly influence in a godless nation. Now here's the question, how do we do that? How do the people of God do that now? Well, Daniel is our paradigm, and here's where he starts. He starts by avoiding two influence killers that I'll be very straightforward with you. Many Christians fall into these these traps and they completely undercut their ability to influence wherever they are. Okay, here's where they are. Number one, he avoids influence killer number one. It's a lack of respect, a lack of respect. Now, um, I'm gonna describe a fictional person, okay? Uh, But this is a fictional person that everyone knows one of. So when I describe this person, no elbows and no pointing, okay? Okay. So let me introduce you to Sarah. We're gonna call her Sarah. Everybody knows a Sarah. Sarah is a Christian that's smart, articulate, fearless, and bold. Sarah, she speaks her mind. Sarah shares her convictions And you know what Sarah thinks is wrong with the world? She thinks that most people are spineless and they lack convictions. And what's wrong with Christians is they don't know how to take a stand. That's what's wrong with most Christians. Everybody else worries too much about what everybody thinks, not Sarah. She's proud to be different. She does not care. If somebody didn't like hearing hard truth, Sarah says, that's their problem. The cross is offensive, that's what the Bible says. But there's this strange thing that happens to Sarah everywhere she goes. Everywhere Sarah goes, she's passed over for promotions. For some strange reason, Sarah is never relationally accepted by her coworkers. Actually, Sarah's been dismissed or gently pushed out of a few jobs. And here's what Sarah thinks is the problem. Sarah complains, what they're unfair workplace environments. I'm being persecuted for my beliefs. I'm being alienated by people because of my convictions. Here's the real problem. Sarah thinks she's honoring God by standing up for the truth. She thinks refusing to, quote, kiss up to those in power is a sign of her convictions. She thought people didn't want to hang out with her because of her boldness. Here's the real problem. Sarah sees respect as a one-way street in her direction. She demands respect for her beliefs from everyone else around her, but she gives respect to nobody around her. That's Sarah's real problem. Now, um, let me show you an exact opposite example from real life. Let let me toss this picture up on the screen. Um, This is, I love this story. This is the story of uh, this guy on the left that you're seeing is a guy named Shane Windemeyer. Shane Windemeyer is the uh, leader of a gay rights uh, activist organization called Campus Pride, very large organization. And on the right, um, that's a guy that many of you might be familiar with. That is a man named Dan Cathy, the owner and founder of Chick-fil-A. Now, some of you may remember back in, I think it was 2012 or 13, um, people found out that Dan Cathy is a very committed, outspoken uh, outspoken Christian. Um, People found out that Chick-fil-A had donated to some organizations that supported a biblical definition of marriage. And if you guys remember, when the media found out that Chick-fil-A had done that, they lost their minds. 
I mean, like totally lost their minds. And as a result, um, the organization Campus Pride staged a protest of Chick-fil-A and then a bunch of people who supported Chick-fil-A staged a protest of the protest and they called it Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day. That actually ended up being the, the highest sales day in Chick-fil-A history, Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day. Don't clap, you're gonna ruin my illustration. <laughs> and, uh, and now here's what's interesting. What happened when this counter Chick-fil-A Appreciation, when all this happened, Dan Cathy never commented in support of Chick-fil-A Appreciation Day. He didn't say a word. Unbeknownst to anyone around him, with no fanfare, he never told anybody, he quietly reached out to Shane Windemeyer, the leader of Campus Pride, and he just said, hey, I would just like to learn from you. They began having long conversations about Shane's beliefs and Dan Cathy's beliefs and how those things could integrate into the workplace. Um, they actually talked so much, they developed a friendship. Dan Cathy ended up having Shane Windemeyer to his house as an honored guest. Shane Windemeyer ended up inviting Dan Cathy out to his ski lodge in Colorado. And this picture you're seeing right here, Dan Cathy eventually invited Shane Windemeyer to be his guest of honor in the box suite at the Chick-fil-A Bowl. That's what you're seeing them at halftime or after, after the game. In 2013, because of this relationship, Shane Windemeyer wrote an article in the Huffington Post entitled, this is awesome, Coming Out as a Friend of Dan Cathy. I wanna quote from this article. This is what Shane Windemeyer said. It is not often that people with deeply held and completely opposing viewpoints actually risk sitting down and listening to one another. We see this failure to listen and learn in our government, in our communities, in our families. Dan, Kathy, and I would together try to do better than each of us had experienced before. Never once did Dan or anyone from Chick-fil-A ask for Campus Pride to stop protesting Chick-fil-A. On the contrary, Dan listened intently to our concerns. Listen close. He sought first to understand, not to be understood. Dan and I shared respectful, respectful, enduring communication. We built trust. His demeanor has always been one of kindness and openness. Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness when he heard of people being treated unkindly in the name of Chick-fil-A, but he offered no apologies for his genuine beliefs about marriage. Do you guys know what Dan Cathy did? He could have like spoken out boldly and made a point. And instead what he did is he chose to use respect to make a difference. And there are gonna come moments in your life and in your workplace where you have to make that choice. Am I gonna make a point or am I gonna make a difference? And that happens through respect. In fact, I just wanna point this out very briefly. Daniel does this to an absolutely remarkable degree. I pointed out in chapter one, <clears throat> Daniel's leader, his supervisor, Ashpenaz, asks him to eat food sacrificed to idols, which the Old Testament specifically forbids. Daniel didn't like stage some protests or make a big scene at work. He brought Ashpenaz into a room alone and the Bible says that he quote, asked, he asked his supervisor for permission to abstain because of his convictions. And also he provided a path forward. He said, hey, I've already thought about, about a solution for this so the business isn't interrupted. Number two, in chapter two, I'm gonna talk about this in a few weeks, Daniel has the spiritual gift of dream interpretation. That's a thing. I'll talk about that in a couple weeks. 
Daniel interprets a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar and listen to how he addresses the king. By the way, this is the king that conquered his nation, separated him from his family, made him a victim of human trafficking and forced him to have gender reassignment surgery. Daniel addresses the king, your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power, might and glory. He shows ultimate respect. In chapter four, Daniel has to interpret a dream that's like bad news for the king. Uh, Listen to how he addresses the king. He says, my Lord, if only, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries, I'll be really honest, if Nebuchadnezzar had done to me what he had done to Daniel, I would have been like, buckle up, Neb. Here we go. You know, how big a boy are you? But he doesn't. Daniel, a godly man shows honor to a godless king. Daniel wasn't, listen, Daniel wasn't respectful because Nebuchadnezzar deserved it. He was respectful because God commanded it. And we, listen, our, I wanna make sure I get this right, our influence with people will never be greater than our respect for people. Can I be really honest with you for a second? Some Christians demand respect from everybody else around them and they give respect to nobody. And then they say, ooh, I'm being persecuted for my beliefs. Nope, you're being persecuted for being a turd. (laughs) That's it. Our, our, uh, Our influence with people will never be greater than our respect for people. Now, number two, he avoided influence killer. Number two, a lack of wisdom. Okay, I'm gonna surprise some of you in the next two minutes of this message. Just track with me. Think about how this is rooted in the Bible. Daniel constantly differentiates between sinful things and offensive things. Daniel never compromises his beliefs, but he recognizes, hey, not every hill is worth dying on. There are a lot of Christians that confuse what they don't like or what offends them with what God forbids, and then they go, they go to battle over things that honestly Daniel would have been like, fine, sure, okay, whatever. Um, think about this, okay. You remember I told you last week, they changed Daniel's name from his Babylonian, like God-honoring name to a pagan name, Belteshazzar, that means treasure of Baal, Babylonian God. Daniel, throughout the book, he, Daniel obviously hated the name. He never uses the name for himself and actually intentionally misspells it throughout the book, which is awesome. Okay. But all throughout the book, he allows the Babylonian leaders to call him that name without correcting him. It offended him, but he knew that there was no direct biblical command to be called by a God-honoring name. So he went, hey, call me what you want. Um, example number two, Daniel's put in a three-year Babylonian school. Do you know what he studied there? He studied astrology and the occult for three years. Here's why. Daniel knew that while God forbids us to practice those things, the scripture says nothing about what we can study. And so Daniel went, okay, teach me what you want. That's fine. And he didn't like sit in the back of the class like, oh, this is so stupid. Like I shouldn't have to do this This as an Israelite, you know? He didn't do that. Daniel like worked hard. He graduated at the top of his class. That's actually what gave him influence in Babylon. Teach me what you want. And then last one, this is the most important one. Babylonian behavior. He said, hey, live how, guys, live how you want. Daniel understood godless people live godless lives. He didn't try to impose his walk with God on people who didn't know God. That is a lesson a lot of Christians are very slow to learn. Unfortunately, I know that from firsthand experience. Let me tell you a story I almost didn't put in the sermon because it is so emotionally painful and cringy for me to tell. Um, I got saved 
when I was like brand new, I was early in high school, say God called me to ministry around the same time. Um, I was really passionate for the things of God. And my first job, I, uh, I flipped steaks at Santa Fe Steakhouse. I was an expo and then I was a steak flipper, okay? That, that was my job. So I'm a brand new guy working with all these college students. None of them are Christians. And I wanted to influence the place for Christ. Now here's what I did, okay? Negative example. Here was my strategy. Anytime somebody would cuss, I'd be like, hey bro, watch your language. Watch your, not, not godly language, you know? Um, and it, sometimes we would get these short breaks for meals in the, you know, in the kitchen, like 50-minute break for a meal. And everybody would gather around and be like, whoa, 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 we need to pray first. And I'd make all these people who had like 14 minutes to eat, I'd take up like 60 seconds of their time forcing these non-Christian people to pray before their meal. And like, you know, they just, it was not, they, they did not love it. <laughs> uh, I let them know, people in this place, I was like, man, anytime they told jokes that were like sexually explicit, like I was just like, oh man, I really don't appreciate that, you know. Now, it's rough. It's a rough story, I told you. Now, here, here's, what, here's my deal. I was sure that God was really pleased with me for like taking a stand and my godly influence. Do, do you know, in reality, I influenced no one and I ostracized everybody. Some of them would like clean it up just while I was around. As soon as I left, they would mock me behind my back. I, I got the nickname Preacher Boy really quick and it wasn't good. In fact, taking stands that the Bible did not command me to take did nothing to draw them to Jesus. Here's all it did. It confirmed their negative stereotype about Christians. That's all that it did. Daniel consistently differentiates between sinful things and offensive things. Now, avoid those two things. Here's how we, inf- we can be influences for Christ by Daniel. I just wanna point this out. The story of Daniel is not a story about God raising up a pastor, missionary, or prophet. It's about a government employee. He becomes the senior advisor to the president of Babylon. And listen, I need every Lake Point person, you need to hear this. Many of the people God uses most greatly throughout history, they are marketplace leaders. They're not church leaders. Abraham was a farmer, Luke was a doctor, Nehemiah was a commercial real estate developer, Esther was a woman in civil government working against racial injustice, Cornelius was a major in the military, Rahab was a working girl. You know, you get that later. None of them, some of you guys look it up, you'll get, that's funny, in a week you'll figure that out. None of them were in vocational ministry, all of them had marketplace jobs. There's a theology behind this. Whenever God creates the world in Genesis 2, it says that he created everything, he put Adam and Eve there, to work it and keep it. That means like, hey, y'all rearrange these raw materials that I put here, that's what that means. And then he created everything and it, it says that he created them and they were good. It doesn't say perfect. There's another Hebrew word for perfect. It says good. Perfect means cannot be improved upon. Good means the raw materials are there to be rearranged so that it can become perfect. Here's my example. If you see Jana at church on a weekend, Jana, she took the shower, she put on the makeup, she did the hair, she chose the outfit, she's perfect. If you see Jana when she first wakes up in the morning, she's just good, that's it, she's just good, that's it. No, the raw materials are there. By the way, I cleared that joke with Jana before I did that, okay, let me just say that. Now, what we are called to do, everybody in our jobs, is to take the raw materials of the earth and develop them for God's glory and people's good. 
Contractors take the raw materials of sand and cement and use them to create buildings. Artists take the raw materials of color and music and arrange them into art. Lawyers take the principles of justice and codify them into laws that benefit society. Guys, most of the great work God wants to do in the world is gonna be done by people in marketplace jobs. 39 out of 40 of the miracles done in the book of Acts happen outside the church. Implication. God is as concerned with displaying his power outside the church as he is within it, which is why Billy Graham said before he died that he believed the next great move of God would come through believers in the workplace. Now, let me just say a couple, this message, here's, here was my motto for this message, help not hype. That was my motto for the help not hype. So this, this message doesn't end with this big emotional crescendo. I just want to help every single person in our church go, okay, here's how I can be an influence for Christ in my workplace that actually works. So let me land the plane right there. Let me just say a a quick word. Number one is some of you, I'm just gonna speak in a very straightforward way. Some of you have been gifted by God to use your marketplace skills to build wealth and, and there's a reason God gave you that gift to leverage it for the kingdom of God. Let me like riff on something that makes me really frustrated. In my generation and down, there's like this growing sentiment that wealth and profit are bad and wealthy people are inherently evil. Guys, that is simply unbiblical. The sin righteousness dividing line in the Bible is not between wealthy and poor, it's between greedy and generous. And there are a great deal of wealthy, generous people in the Bible, and by the way, wealthy, generous people who have been used by God in this church. Um, there, there's, a, there's a story, so early in the 90s, what Pastor Steve used to do is in the paper bulletin of the church, he would list kingdom advancing initiatives that they were ready to accomplish, but that they didn't have the funds to accomplish with the general giving. And there was, a, for nine and a half years, there was a 22 passenger van on that list. One day, uh, you know, a guy in the church who was gifted to build wealth walked into Steve's office, plopped down a $40,000 check, said, buy the dang bus, I'm tired of seeing it, and left. (laughs) And because of that, hundreds and thousands of students went to Christian camps and were saved. People went to mission trips over many, many years because of that guy's generosity and leveraging his God-given gift to build wealth. Uh, We've mentioned before that it it costs about $100,000 to plant, to start a church in a secular city in America. Many, many times in Lake Point's history, a guy in the church or a woman in the church that was gifted to build wealth grabbed Steve, me, or Rick after a service and went, hey, I want to fund the starting of a church in a new city. And because of those people, Lake Point has planted 48 churches in secular cities in America. Because of them. Guys, we have, listen, for real, I could go on. We have entire campuses. Right now I'm like, it really bothers me when people try to make people who are good at building wealth feel guilty for it. We have entire campuses that exist today because somebody in our church had a financial windfall and they went, hey, I want this to be leveraged for the kingdom. And we were able to build a campus because of it. And thousands of people have come to know God as a result. So a lot of times I hear pastors constantly making people feel guilty for earning money. Let me just say in a very straightforward way, that's not biblical and you should not feel guilty for it. In fact, I wanna, you know what we need? I wanna speak in a very straightforward way. We need you to absolutely crush it at your job. 
We need you to crush it in your industry to build as much wealth and influence as you can and leverage it for the glory of God and the good of people. And that is how God has used thousands and thousands, yes, thousands and thousands and thousands of people to build and advance his kingdom. Now here's most of us, is I'm just gonna call it the Daniel model. Through integrity, excellence, and love, he has called you to be a kingdom influence in your marketplace job, okay? Again, I told you, I'm landing the plane on this sermon with help, not hype. So here's how I wanna finish this sermon. I wanna give you a series of examples from people in our church so that you can, through the creative wisdom of the Holy Spirit, go, oh, maybe I could do that, or it'll spark a thought for how you can do it. So let me just give some examples, okay? Example number one, a business owner in our church leveraged the profits of his business to build a school serving children in Liberia, and with, with the profits of business, with, uh, he does not count as vacation time uh, for employees of his organization if they take time off to go serve at that school or go to use their time for any other humanitarian efforts. Incredible influence. Example number two. We have countless doctors, teachers, medical professionals, lawyers, stay-at-home moms with relationships with other women in their neighborhoods who constantly encounter people at moments of crisis in their lives because of their vocations and they offer to listen, to encourage, and to pray with them in crisis. One lawyer in our church this week described to me, he meets people in a moment of crisis, and he says, I say something like this. He says, hey, you can say no to this. So he respects their boundaries. He says, you can say no to this, but I'm a person of faith. Would it be okay if I prayed with you for your problem? 100% success rate. Example number three. There is a manager in our church who managers at a, an executive level in his organization and all the employees of the organization are in his downlines. When he coaches employees in his organization, he coaches them towards two things, personal reflection and personal development. When he coaches them, he uses a personal example from his life. He just briefly says something like this. Hey, here's how I do it. I read the Bible for 10 minutes a day and then I read a leadership book for 10 minutes a day. Just a very gentle way to influence them. Example number whatever I am. Example number whatever. There's a police officer that when the events of Ferguson, Missouri happened years ago, he reached out to black leaders in the community and gathered both them and other police officers in his force. And then when they got together, he said, hey, listen, I'm a police officer that's called to uphold justice but I'm also a person of faith and I believe it's my job to be a minister of reconciliation. And he quoted 2 Corinthians. And he said, I just wanted us to get together to seek peace and understanding. I want to understand your viewpoint and maybe you can understand some of ours. Let's seek this together. Influence for Christ, number or whatever. We have many people who lead fitness classes and own CrossFit boxes. And here's what they do. They tell people, hey, I wanna help you with your body, but I wanna help you in three categories, mind, body, and spirit. If you're ever going through a hard time or need help in mind and spirit, I would love to talk to you about how that's happened in my life. And they'll have those conversations in rows or they'll give that person a devotional when the door opens, an influence, last one. Cynthia Marshall, who is the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks and a former Lake Point member, 
when she became the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks, one, she moved for the halftime shows to feature less sexually provocative performances that contributed to the objectification of women. And honestly, I follow her on Twitter. She's just very public with her faith in like a non-cringy weird way. She constantly talks about what the Lord's doing in her life or she'll post a Bible verse or she'll just share a message that God used to encourage her. And she's a person of public faith. Now you ask the spirit how it works for you. And then let me show you what happens whenever all of us, tens of thousands of us step forward in this way, okay? So a lot of you guys will remember um, the freeze earlier this year, 139 hours, sub-zero temperatures in Dallas, killed dozens of people and uh, did an estimated $18 billion worth of damage in the DFW area. Um, Here's what happens when all of us step forward in our marketplace callings. Here's how they started. First, a business owner in our church with a gift of building wealth grabbed me in the lobby after the service that week and said, Pastor Josh, I feel led by the spirit to give a significant gift. It was a six figure gift. And I want this gift to go to help the underprivileged and poor who have more damage to their houses than they can afford to repair. And his family wrote a very generous check. Those funds then went to the Lake Point Missions Department, who, by the way, is led by a man named Shea Fields. Shea Fields spent most of his life building a 700-employee pharmaceutical business that he then sold. And then in his quote-unquote retirement, Shea leverages his executive-level leadership experience to strategically lead Lake Point Missions to a level of effectiveness that is frankly mind-boggling. Shea realized with his leadership experience, the best way to do this would be to leverage some existing plumbing companies so that they can be the conduits through which those funds can flow to the right people diagnosed in the right way so that we don't, you know, that we're careful with the funds. Then here's what happened. Two Christian business leaders in our church who own plumbing companies stepped forward and said, hey, we want to donate the time, resources, and employee leverage of our companies so that when we diagnose which underprivileged families can't afford to fix their pipes, we'll know we will free of charge to you and we'll actually donate funds from our profits to lower the costs. We'll help identify those families and allocate those funds. So they did that. Then a Christian man who's a leader in one of those companies gathered all the plumbers and techs in the company and explained what they were doing. Some of the plumbers and techs were like, hey, like, why would anybody do this? Why would there be somebody who would give all this money away just to help poor people in Dallas? And he got to explain that the man who wrote that check was a Christian. And he believed that though that, that Christ, though he was rich in heaven, he was willing to come to earth and become poor and pour out all the resources of his own blood to fix what's wrong with us. And that that man was just following the example of his savior. Explained this to hundreds of plumbers and techs in his companies and then explained what they were gonna do for people. Some of those plumbers and techs in the company then when they were meeting with people, as they identified underprivileged families, they met with them in a moment of despair when people realized, oh, I can't afford to fix my house and they took off their plumber hat and they put on their Christ follower hat and they ministered to people in a time of crisis and we have now baptized some of those people in our services. That's right. Now, I want you to think about this. All of that happened without a single pastor, preacher, or missionary involved. 
It happened with an army of Daniels who stepped forward where God had planted them to be godly influences in godless places. And I'm asking the spirit would do that for you. And so will you probably just wanna pray with you right now that the spirit would empower you in that endeavor. And so Father, as we put our hand to, as your word says, every good endeavor. I pray that you would empower the businessmen and businesswomen, the leaders, the servants, all the people in our church, and that they would go forward on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as ambassadors of Christ, ministers of reconciliation, the aroma of Christ wherever they go, and that you would give them a spirit-filled power to influence those places for your glory and people's good. Father, give them joy as they do it. I, pr I pray for flourishing. God, I do. I, I boldly ask you to make them successful in every endeavor that they undertake, that you would lift up your people so that they would have more resources and influence to leverage for the good of the kingdom and the good of people. I pray blessing and success over them in the name of Christ, in his crucified and risen name. Amen and amen, 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 amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.